From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we have unfiltered conversations about love and marriage, work and family, and everything in between. If you need some confirmation, some affirmation, or some inspiration, you have landed in the right place. This podcast is all about exposing the false cultural narratives that are undermining your ability to be successful in love. Welcome to the first episode of my new Money and Marriage series. Today, we're going to discuss what millennials get so terribly wrong about money and marriage. But first, a few quick announcements. So I received an email the other day from a man named Martin, and the subject line read simply, help. And his message was, counseling, please, for men. So I wanted to respond to that here because I'm not sure people realize that I do coach men. If you all go to the coaching page of my site, suzannevanker.com forward slash coaching, you will see that I'm still available for single sessions. And yes, that includes men. And so you can sign up for that there. Also, if you'd like to become a subscriber to the Suzanne Banker Show and get all the free goodies that come along with that, you can do that at suzannevanker.com forward slash podcast. Essentially, you can do everything at suzannevanker.com. It's like one-stop shopping. You can even get in touch with me there on the contact page. Or if you prefer, you can simply reach me at suzanne at thesuzannevankershow.com. Finally, for those of you who don't know, we have a Facebook fan page for listeners of The Suzanne Banker Show. So if you'd like to commiserate with other listeners, you can do that by joining our group on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Banker Show private group, you know, in the search bar up there of Facebook, and it should come right up. And now on with the show. According to a 2021 Fidelity Investments survey, one in five couples aged 25 and older who are either married or in a relationship, identify money as their greatest relationship challenge. To address this, the Wall Street Journal had an entire spread in their paper recently about how modern couples handle money. And I found myself shaking my head at the way this generation thinks. Of course, money conflicts are evident in every generation, but for a whole host of reasons, Millennials have ushered in a new way of looking at money and marriage that is strikingly different from any other generation in history. This is in part why I decided to include a money and marriage series on this program, where I will occasionally tackle a specific subject related to money with the intent of helping people move forward with their finances and their relationships rather than be held back, which from what I can tell is exactly what's happening with countless millennials today. In fact, if you ask the average unmarried millennial why he or she isn't married, the number one answer you'll hear is that they can't afford it. One study by Credit Karma showed that over 50% of millennials don't want to get married, quote unquote, until their finances are in order. This survey also showed that millennials value maintaining financial independence once they're paired up. Almost two-thirds 62% keep at least one separate bank account while in a relationship, and many think this keeps their relationship alive. There's so much to unpack here, 
that I can't possibly address at all in one episode. So in the coming months, I have episodes planned on topics such as why we think about and handle money the way we do, how to get on the same page with your spouse about money, when to share your financials with a boyfriend or girlfriend, how to deal with student debt, how to adapt to a smaller income, and much more. So be on the lookout for that. For today, I want to focus on what the research shows to be true and what I believe with every fiber of my being is the single best insurance for any marriage to thrive. And that is to be a team in every possible way, especially with money. So what does it mean to be a team when you're married? What does that actually look like? Well, to begin with, it means there's no such thing as his and hers or mine and yours. There are only two pronouns married people should be using if they want to build wealth and if they want their marriages to thrive, marriage to thrive. We and ours. Now stay with me here because I'm not suggesting that there can't or there shouldn't be monies set aside for each partner to have some agency. But there is a way to do that while still being a team. And we'll talk about that. The essence of being a team simply means that all major decisions are made together and that no one's hiding anything from their partner or acting independently of their partner or spouse, I should say spouse, when it comes to finances. Because that's the other problem is that people are, when you say partner, it's like, are you married or are you not married? Because you shouldn't really be combining finances anyway if you're not married. Combining finances is a marital thing. So I want to make that distinction, even though millennials don't. Now, I know there are plenty of people who insist that having separate everything works for them. And if both partners are happy with this arrangement and their marriage is thriving, I'm not suggesting they need to change. But I would argue that these couples do not have true intimacy if they're acting independently of one another, because they're essentially roommates rather than spouses. Also, this arrangement tends to feel like it's working until the wheels come off when a big purchase or a calamity of some sort has to be resolved. In other words, as long as life is running smoothly and if a couple can avoid any hardship or surprises throughout their lives, and you can see where I'm going here, separate finances may work. But of course, that's not reality. So this concept of being a team is not the mindset of the average millennial, which is the reason, in my opinion, so many of these so many of those in this cohort are, who are married find themselves stuck. And once again, any of this information I'm going to talk about today will apply to anyone of any age or generation. I'm just simply choosing to focus on millennials. So if you happen to be in your 50s or 60s and this applies to you, then wonderful, then it still applies. To give you an example of a millennial mindset, I'm going to play a clip in a moment from a podcast called Money Confidential, which is sponsored by Real Simple Magazine. It's from February 7th. It's called I Make More Money Than My Boyfriend. How Can We Be Financial Equals? If you wanted to look that up when we're done here. So this person interviewed, the, the host of the program, interviews this woman named Charlotte, who's 26 and lives in Chicago, and she and her boyfriend live together. But before I play these clips, I, I want to note a few examples from the podcast that are typical, or from this episode, rather, of this podcast, that are typical of the millennial mindset. This woman, Charlotte, is not an anomaly. She's the norm. So she talks about how they've been together for four years, 
and actually you you all have probably heard people who've been together for much longer than that before they're married right four years together and they talk about how the next step they're going to take this relationship to the next step because they truly believe this is the next step after four years is to cohabit like marriage is like way down the road you just you see you're together for years and years then you live together then maybe you get married that's the that's the, the average process now when you talk to this generation and I have an episode of, I have an episode coming up on cohabitation, which, I mean, really, it's just about avoiding making a grown-up decision. That's what it is. It's just, it's 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 um, dragging out life, beginning, really. Um, you know, the settling down process. And it's, it's done in the name of money, which we're going to get to all that. So that's one thing is this idea of being together for years. And then the next step is cohabitation. Of course, that's not a, that's not the next, that's not a step up in a relationship. That's def that definitely a step back. But at any rate, they also talk about, they use the word partner. She uses the word partner instead of spouse and never use the terms husband and wife. It's always partner. So everything's very murky and no one knows what you're talking about. Like I was mentioning before, whether you're living together or married. And that's obviously those are not the same thing at all, but they think of them as the same thing. And then um, another thing you'll notice is that everything has to be 50-50. And that means that each partner, each spouse, each person has to perform identical tasks in order to be deemed equal. And if that's not happening, the farther away they are from that, they think they're moving backward. And so the goal is always performing these identical tasks as though men and women are the same, which leads into the last one. And that's their false belief that there are no differences between the sexes and that everything related to gender roles is socially driven as opposed to being a biological imperative. So that all of those four things right there is a is an example of a of a mindset that the average young, you know, let's call it the modern generation has today, which is part and parcel of why they struggle so much in their relationships, because they're looking at the whole thing wrong. That's my, that's my argument here on this program today. So now I'm going to play two clips from this podcast for you, and then we'll talk about it. Here's the first one. We try to clean the apartment about once a week, usually Sunday morning is our cleaning time. And I do three of the rooms that are relatively easy, like vacuuming, dusting, that kind of stuff, just picking up things. And then he does the bathroom and the kitchen, um, which I would not want to do. So he does the things that I don't want to do. And other things like we'll split off each week, like I'll pay for groceries and then one week he'll pay for groceries and we'll go back and forth on that. Um, okay, that's the first one. Okay, and here's the second clip. At the end of the day, we definitely want to have our own bank account still because I don't ever want to tell him how to spend his money and vice versa. If he told me I couldn't buy something, I'd be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> how about a joint savings account? Because it seems like a lot of the pain point is, again, planning for this shared future, right? That's where logistical things kind of feel more tense more than the checking account expenses you seem to have a system for that i think a joint savings account is honestly the best route forward for us but one thing that i worry about with that 
is kind of what we were talking about earlier. We'll both see the balance that's in there or whatever the term is, and I'll know how much I'm putting in and then in return, I'll know how much he's putting in. And I feel like that could cause some issues in the future. Like, well, I've put in a thousand dollars and you put in 400 and hopefully it's not that much of a difference, but just giving an example, I could see something like that in the future causing issues. Okay, so the first thing that you can see there, of course, is the pronouns, um, his money and her money. Of course, they're not married yet, so technically, they really shouldn't be caught, you know, talking in terms of our yet, but it's not going to change when they get married, let's face it. At the end of the day, you can see that this, that the number one, I mean, what stands out to me, I don't know about you guys, but what's glaring about it is this attitude. It's the approach in this attitude that is very roommate-like. And not just because this couple is currently living together. They will take this mindset with them into the marriage because they're not really getting married in the true sense of the word. That's what so often happens when you've been together for years and then you live together and then you kind of fold into getting married. More often than not, that marriage is coming about for the purpose of legitimizing the children they're about to have or in some cases that they already have, but then they continue to live like roommates. So I really think that marriage to this group, and again, when I'm talking about this group, I'm generalizing. Obviously there are exceptions to the rule. So if, there are plenty of millennials who do not think like this. I'm just talking about general attitudinal, attitudinal trends and how striking it is. Um, their reasons for getting married are really very much based in, in just having a mom and dad for, the children they're about to have or that they already have because they do things backwards so often. And so I guess we should be glad about that, that at least their mindset is still, oh yeah, children need a mom and a dad. Um, but of course, you're not really thinking about, again, it's just a structure for the kids. It's not about marriage and what it means and getting out of that roommate mentality. This is what 50 years of feminism has done. It started with this whole... Um, roommatey, competitive, independent-minded mindset. It started with the mentality of pitting men and women against each other, and then it morphed into an obliteration of any distinctive roles because those are supposedly bad, to a lifestyle in which both parents become permanent year-round breadwinners, which then implodes the natural biological dance that occurs between a man and a woman once children come along. In fact, that's when these couples who who believed this garbage about men and women being the same get into trouble because they act as though the presence of children isn't going to change the entire game, which of course it does. That's when sex differences become blindingly obvious. Now, to be fair to millennials, no one told them that this is what happens once children come along. So they've mapped out a life, as I talked about last week on this podcast, as though this isn't the case, and then find themselves stuck down the road when, for example, the mother isn't responding to breadwinning the same way the father is. He's emboldened to earn on behalf of his family, but she's taxed when trying to do this same thing while caring for an infant. 
And that's when the resentment sets in. But what I find most striking with these couples, like the one, or, or millennials, like the one I just played for you, is the the childishness and the selfishness they exhibit, which again goes back to what I was saying last week in my episode on the ideal age to marry. Because from my vantage point, the average 30-something today who's married does not at all have the maturity or the mindset that's needed to make marriage work. They're not any different in their 30s than they were in their 20s mindset-wise. So the idea that waiting until one's 30s today is somehow an automatic panacea for a better marriage is just bogus. But let's go, let's go back to the clip that I just played. So let's start with the bathroom and the kitchen versus the other rooms. Wh what the hell is that? What is that? This woman, Charlotte, doesn't even see the shocking unfairness of this arrangement because she's not on the receiving end of it. If it were turned around, this would be a cause this, for, you know, if you, you read about this all the time, women who are complaining about they're going to divorce their husbands because of the um, childcare and household chores are all unfair or whatever. If it were turned around and she was the one doing the um, kitchens and the bathrooms, as opposed to just dusting and vacuuming, this would be cause for divorce because she's doing the heavy lifting. But somehow when he does it, it's perfectly normal and fair. Like no connection there in her brain. And of course, he's just as much to blame for accepting this arrangement if indeed he does, which of course we didn't hear from him, so we don't know. And then later she says this, which is really interesting. I didn't play this clip for you, but she said, I'm saved, quote, I'm saving more than he is for the wedding because I earn more. I want to say that I'm better than this, but it will probably come back to some backhanded comment, end quote. Now, this is interesting because she's saying that she knows that it's wrong to make backhanded comments about the fact that she earns more. And she actually asks, she actually says she needs tips for how not to do this because it just happens. It just sort of comes out of her, which is proof that it's a natural reaction for a woman to be resentful when she out earns her man. A husband who earns more than his wife is not going to feel the same resentment. If anything, he's going to feel bigger, stronger, happier, more grounded in who he is and on his value as a husband and as a father. Now, it's true that some millennial men don't react this way because they too have been conditioned to reject their own biological propensities. And as a result, they, they want, and some of them, want and expect their wives to earn. But that's a very new phenomenon, very new. And it's, it's another episode altogether. I can't get into it here, but it is very, very new. Most men are not that way. And that's, and certainly we're not in the past. So I created this episode on the heels of a new study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology that just came out this year. It was called Pooling Finances and Relationship Satisfaction. Its conclusion was that couples who pool all of their money compared to couples who keep some or all of their money separate experience greater relationship satisfaction and are less likely to break up. So notice it's not specific to, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get divorced. You can stay married and not have a good marriage, right? And be on opposite ends of just sort of going through the motions like roommates, like I said. And then you can also divorce. There's two different ways of, you know, having a reaction. Once again, I want to stress that this does not have to mean couples can't have their own spending money. And actually they should. But those monies can be woven into the budget 
where both people know how much is being spent, even if they don't know every detail of what the money is being spent on. So for instance, my husband, Bill, and I don't have to account for every penny we spend when we're not in each other's company, obviously, but we do know how much is being spent so that it can be factored into the budget. This gets into the topic of budgets, which is not something every couple does. So I'm going to do a whole episode exclusively on this very soon. But back to this new study. So baby boomers are most likely to have only joint accounts with 49%, followed by Gen Xers, that's me, with 48%. So boomers and Xers are basically the same versus just 31% of millennials, basically 50 to 30. That's exactly what I meant when I said that while couples of every generation struggle with money, there's something very unique about how millennials are dealing with money in a marriage. The co-author of this study, Emily Garbinski, says that she finds many couples tend to avoid discussing money. Quote, couples admit that they don't like talking about finances with their partner. They anticipate conflict. They think that if they talk about their finances, that they're going to end up fighting about it. End quote. So therein lies the rub. This isn't really about money. This is about conflict and conflict avoidance and dealing with life head on instead of hiding from it. Conflict avoidance, no matter what the topic is, but certainly with money, will absolutely, 100%, no question about it, ruin your relationship. You have to be able to have hard conversations if you're married. You have to be able to have hard conversations at all, period, whether you're single or married, but this is especially true when you're married. So essentially what these couples are doing in this generation is they're avoiding addressing their anxiety and their fears about money. Because when you won't come to the money table, that's what you're avoiding. It's, it, it's what that math in front of you represents, what it says about you, what it means for your life, what, and, how it, and how it meshes or doesn't mesh with your spouse's. So when an issue comes, whenever an issue comes out that's money related, they're, they're essentially putting a bandaid on it rather than getting to the actual wound, which for many of them is fear. I mean, keep in mind, this is the generation who are products of divorce. They have not seen how to handle conflict properly or well. So they avoid it altogether because that's easier right? It's easier than having a, a screaming match. And of course you shouldn't have a screaming match. Um, but, but fights are inevitable when you're working through, um, well, first of all, when you're just going through life and a marriage, but when you're working through anything related to money, so they don't have, and that's not to say that all, only children of divorce don't, you know, suffer from this. There are plenty of people, plenty of people whose parents were married who did not model, um, how to handle money properly. And they, they stayed married. They just didn't, you know, just, 
there's just there's a whole lot to this. It's just as you can see where I'm going. There's just a lot with this. I did an episode a while back on the book Know Yourself, Know Your Money by Rachel Cruz, which I highly recommend if you don't know about it. It's essentially exactly what I'm talking about. It's about why you think about and why you handle money the way you do. Going back to what you learned about money growing up and how that mindset is likely still with you today and how you can begin to think and behave differently in a way that will move you forward rather than hold you back. So it's very, 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 I, I highly recommend this book for everybody. But you can't move forward if you're avoiding talking about it at all. All you're doing is you're on autopilot, trying to dodge. It's like walking through life, trying to dodge all the things that are coming at you instead of grabbing them and dealing with them head on. And that's where the true intimacy lies in your relationship is, is facing those demons, both people and, and ironing them out and working them, working through them to come to a happy place. And it's, you know, I think people are just so, they think that they're making it worse by addressing it when in fact all they're doing is essentially trying to push a ball down under the water and hold it there as long as possible but it always comes up always so it's always there and until you address it you're going to live with it so being quiet and avoiding the conflict isn't making it go away so staying married and having true intimacy with your partner, which all begins with the money, because there's so much wrapped up in it, um, are, are, are two different things. Here are some, I, I want to address some of the myths millennials believe too, that are, again, holding them back, in addition to the just con general conflict avoidance. This, the group of women in particular, in this in this um, generation is utterly clueless about male nature. I mean, clue less because they've been raised on a steady diet of equality. They genuinely believe that men and women are the same in their desires and in their reactions to things. So for example, Charlotte spoke about her man having a quote unquote financial burden. That's unfair because it puts pressure on him to make it happen. When in reality, she says, quote, it's both of us who need to make it happen. End quote. Okay, first of all, no, it's not up to both of you to make it happen. Not once children come along. The average husband does not view earning as a financial burden. He wants to do that. That's, that's what emboldens him. It is true that for some millennial men, they, they don't view it that way because they've gotten used to this new world we've created where the expectations are so high. And they've been sort of, uh, groomed to believe that women are supposed to be working year round and um, full time throughout their lives, just like men, kids or no kids. Um, and of course that's, un that's unfortunate because there's a lot of people who are a lot of women who are struggling with men who think they're supposed to work when they have children and they don't, they can't find men who don't think that way. So I don't know what the numbers are on that. There's no question that that's happening. But my point is that, that's brand new. Like I said before, this is, um, 
it, it sort of goes back to what Dennis Prager was saying on my bonus episode, if you all caught that, about how a left-wing thought and ideology actually has the power to overturn human nature, at least at least temporarily, or at least until someone forces it back into um, its proper spot. Um, at any rate, so so the point is that men and women are not viewing earning once they have children in the same way. Um, yes, it's true that if a man marries a woman whose demands for a fancy lifestyle are great, he's going to feel burdened. But for most generations, having children until recently meant curbing one's lifestyle to accommodate this new reality. And a grounded, purpose-driven man, you know, a good man, will welcome that. It's true that living on one income is unquestionably harder today. I don't deny that. My point is that there's a way to make allowances for this in advance, in advance so that living on one income temporarily is doable. In fact, I would argue that that's exactly what couples learned in COVID, that they can survive on one income temporarily if they have to. And the average man will want to be able to provide this for his wife and kids. Men and women are not the same, as she point, as Charlotte suggested. Not being employed is psychologically harder for men than it is for women. I don't know if you guys are Downton Abbey fans like I am. I've watched it a million times. If you have, you know who Branson is. And he said in one episode, quote, it can be hard for women to understand that a man is what he does to himself anyway, end quote. And, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. Some people will say, well, that was back in the 1900s. <laughs> but that's just it. Human nature does not change because society does. You either understand that or you don't. And so if you do understand that, you're going to be able to move forward with the changes much more easily. If you don't understand that, you're going to struggle. The reason women like Charlotte call it a financial burden for men is because it's a financial burden for the women once a child is thrown into the mix. These women view men and women as interchangeable, and this is where they get into trouble they don't value or even see the massive differences between the sexes. So their marriages and relationships are strained. They have no idea how hard they're making the whole thing. So back to money. Here are the top things millennials say they want to achieve before they get married in order of, a, of importance. And again, you'll notice they're all money related. One, make a higher salary. Two, pay down loans or other debt. Three, pay down credit card debt. Four, save or earn save or earn enough to live on their own. Five, save enough to buy a house. These are all things that they want to achieve before they get married. Now, this could take 20 years to do all these things, right? You can see how money is at the forefront of millennials' minds in a way that was not the case for any other generation before them. In my day, money was not the sole factor in mapping out a life. It was just one piece of the puzzle. There's so much more to life than just, or to mapping out a life and to, and to living life than to just dealing with your money. Yes, life is expensive today, but salaries are also considerably higher. 
it's not how much a couple earns or how expensive things are as much as it is about the choices one makes. Making a lot of money does not necessarily equate to being wealthy. Not at all. It's not what you earn, but what you do with it that determines that. If you choose to go into debt to go to college, for example, because you chose a school you couldn't afford, that's going to have a domino effect in your life for years to come, including your love life, as evidenced by what millennials just said they need to do before they can get married. And if you choose to marry someone who has debt, and you consider that debt exclusively his or hers and not yours, even though you're married, once again, you're going to experience a domino effect on your relationship that's not going to propel you forward because you're not working as a team. All of which brings me back to the point of this podcast. The only way to win with marriage, to have it go the distance and to have it be happy, is to be a team in every possible way, especially with money. Financial intimacy is a thing. It's real. We don't hear a lot about it, but it's a thing. <laughs> the only way to achieve it, though, is to understand that two people don't have to engage in the same tasks in order to be on the same team. The roles can be different at different stages of your life, while the goal is the same. So you'll remember Charlotte talking about how when she and her boyfriend get married, she will notice how much she deposits in their account if it's joint compared to how much her husband deposits. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the new age marriage, and it's the reason why it doesn't work. That is not how marriage is designed to work. Millennials have what I'd call a tit-for-tat mentality, or this idea that men and women have to perform the same tasks, like I said, in order to be equally valuable. And there's, there's just no understanding that while men and women, in many cases, but not all, may be equally capable of doing something, it doesn't mean they don't each have something unique to offer, and that they don't have different motivations for what drives them. And it's this cluelessness about money and marriage that's causing millennials to struggle so much in their relationships. They just don't get it. There's so much more they have to learn about really two things in particular. One is gender dynamics or sex differences. And the other is wealth building, how you do that and how working together, if you're in a relationship or, well, again, going back to marriage, because I don't advise combining finances if you're not married, but at any rate, um, you know, regardless, um, to do that, you're going to get, you're going to get, if you have the same goal, you're going to get there much faster if you're doing it together. That's my point. But they just weren't schooled in this department. And so many of them are just muddling through trying to figure out why it's so hard when a massive shift in their mindset would solve their problems. They're holding on to a false narrative in their heads about money and marriage. And because they don't want to do it the way their parents did it, they, they, they think the way they're doing it is somehow better. And of course, there's absolutely no evidence that it's better. In fact, if anything, it's showing that it's considerably worse because um, people, they're in debt. They can't get out of debt. They're not getting married because of the debt. I mean, the list goes on. They're comparing each other's 
um, you know, again, being more competitive than a team and that they're just going about it in, in the wrong way. And that's why it's not working. So until they shift that and move into team mindset, they will continue to fail. So as I said at the beginning, I can't explain and talk about all of this here in one episode, which is why I'm going to be covering this topic piecemeal over the coming months. So if you have a millennial in your life who's struggling when it comes to money or marriage, please send them on over to the Suzanne Banker Show. And that wraps up today's episode. Please share this podcast with at least one friend or family member you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, you can reach me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. Thank you.